And then we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 12, read verse 12 and 13. They tie together. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10. The proverb said, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Hebrews 12, 12 and 13. The writer said, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Oh, Lord, we talked about small strength. And we talked about weak hands and feeble knees. Verse 13, he said, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. I want to talk to you today for the next little while on the thought, strength enough. Strength enough. God bless you as you're seated in Jesus' name. As you begin to look at this passage of Scripture and look at it with me closely for a moment, the proverb, in Proverbs 24.10, Solomon makes this statement, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. He's making the statement, he's saying, if you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. If you falter in the day of distress, how small is your strength? If you fail, if you give in to anxiety or danger, then you're weak, he's saying. And the strength that you boasted to possess is worth little. There's a statement that kind of would sum this up that says this, man has no trial of his strength until he is in trouble. Man has not even had his strength tested until he is in trouble. Now, we looked at this Wednesday night, and I want to go back there, and I used this yesterday morning preaching over in Hornwall at the men's conference. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, when Jesus is in the last night of his life before he's going to be beaten, before he's going to be uh, crucified, before this all begins to, to happen, on this last night of his life, he's having Passover with his disciples. They're there in that upper room in, in Jerusalem. And he pulls Peter to the side or he singles Peter out. And he looks at him in verse 31 and he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And Peter looked at him and he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And Jesus looked at him and he said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice or three times deny that thou knowest me. Here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew, first of all, that Peter was going to be attacked by Satan. He knew that Satan was going to shake him. Satan was going to attempt to crush him. And the goal of all of this attack was to prove that Peter didn't have the goods. He wanted to prove that Peter did not have what it took. But Jesus looked at him and he said, I prayed for you, first of all, that your faith shall not fail. That your faith fail not. Jesus knew that he had prayed for Peter. Jesus knew that he had prayed that his faith fail not. And Jesus also knew that Peter was going to deny him 
three times. Well, here's what Peter thought. Peter also had an idea, and Peter also was part of this conversation. Peter thought about himself, and he declared it. He declared to Jesus, and he had it in his mind that he had strength to endure whatever was going to happen. Y'all with me? He had told the Lord, he said, I will go with you to prison if it takes going to prison. I'll go with you to prison. I'll go with you to death. If it takes dying for you, I will die for you. But the reality of that moment was that Peter was going to do exactly as Jesus had declared. And so in the next little while, as the next few hours played out, Peter followed at a distance they had taken Jesus off, and Peter followed at a distance into that, that area where they were taking Jesus in for judgment. And Peter sat at the fire with those who were there as part of that mob that were the accusers of Jesus, no doubt. And while he's sitting there warming at the fire with those that were anti-Jesus, a young girl looked at him and he said, or she said, he's with him. He's with Jesus. And Peter said, woman, I don't know him. And another person said, thou art also of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. And an hour later, another man with confidence affirmed. And he said, of a truth, he was with him because he is a Galilean. And Peter looked at him and he said, man, I don't know what you're even talking about. The summation of this is that Jesus knew that Peter's strength was small. Jesus knew that Peter would fail under pressure. Jesus knew that he would fall. But Jesus also knew the part that he was going to play in it. Are y'all with me? He knew this, and he said, I have prayed for you, but he also gave a declaration that we can't too quickly move past. In verse 32 of Luke 22, Jesus looked at Simon, and he said, I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brother. He looked at him and he said, I didn't pray for you that your strength wouldn't fall. I didn't pray for you that you would be man enough to take it. I didn't pray for you that you wouldn't get embarrassed in this scenario. I didn't pray that you would come out on top. I simply prayed for you that your faith fail not. I prayed for you that you would have something that was gripping deep down in your heart. And when Satan crushed you, when Satan shook you, when Satan attacked you, that there was still going to be faith that was in you. I want to tell somebody something this morning. The Lord is not so concerned about, conti uh, about making sure your reputation is at stake. The Lord's not so concerned about making sure that your life is problem free. The Lord's not so concerned making sure that you don't get embarrassed or that things don't bother you. He's not put you in his nursery class. He's getting you ready for his army. And he wants you to know that the most important thing is your faith. You see, Satan's not after you physically or not after your stuff. He's not after your, your, your things that are so important to you. Satan could care less if you drive a brand new Lincoln Navigator or come up in here with a Buick that's put together by, by, by bumper stickers. 
He don't care if you park your car in the front of the church in pride or park your car in the back of the church with the same pride. You got your new one, park it up front. You got your dumpy car, park it in the back and still pride. Satan don't care about none of that. He wants your faith. He wants you to quit trusting in the Lord. And we're in an age right now. The Lord's getting ready to return. The battle is waging. The battle is hot. And you know what God is doing, and I'm talking to a group of you today that is part of it, what God is doing. God is preparing his bride. He's preparing a group of people that is a glorious church, a group of people that's made up their mind. As Pop said, you can take the whole world, just give me Jesus. I'm not after the stuff, I'm after him. And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, I prayed for you that your faith fail." Not. And then he made a declaration to Peter in verse 32. Look at it again in Luke 22, 32. He said, I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He said, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And I'm making a, a declaration over your life that when you are converted, you will have a ministry to do. Here's what I'm telling you today. If you don't remember anything, I'm telling you this. There are two things that you need more than your human strength. Because I'm telling somebody in this room today that the reason you're here is because you've got to resolve. You just don't want to lose. Some of you are so competitive. You're at the church. Just, you're here today just to spite the devil. Some of you are here today because you say, I'm just going to show that devil. But I'm going to tell you something this morning, just having a strong resolution, just merely being stubborn is not going to get you through what we're about to walk into. Because you need more than stubbornness. You need more than just human resolution. There are two things that you need more than your human strength. First of all, you need a faith that nothing can shake from you, and you need a word of God to hold on to. And Jesus looked at Peter, and he said, I pray for you that your faith fell not. And then he said, and when? You see, when Jesus said, and when, it kind of jumped across what was going to happen in the next few hours. It kind of jumped across what was going to happen in the next three days. It kind of jumped across that, and it catapulted back over to the place where Peter was going to be converted, and Peter was going to be what he needed to be in his walk with God, and Jesus knew that. And he said, and when you are converted, you got a ministry that you're going to do. Satan is after your faith. But Satan also wants to take away your and when. And I'm talking to somebody this morning that here you are. I applaud you for being here because of the resolution and because even if it was stubbornness that got you here, you're here. But what we're about to walk into, we need to realize that there's not strength enough in any human being. We need help that only comes from God. When you look at that text again in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10, he said, if, the, if you faint 
If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. I know that sounds negative, but let me look at it for a moment this way. Let's don't look at it as a condemnation. Let's look at it as a statement of fact. We do falter. We do grow weak. We do struggle in times of adversity. It's an admission. It's an admission that humanity is weak. And when humanity cracks and crumbles and crashes, there's nothing left but dust. But when he is in us, this flesh may crack, this flesh may crumble, this, this flesh may crash, but what's left is him and life that comes from him. You see, Paul kind of gives us insight into that thought in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. We're always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered, or always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh." And he jumps down in verse 16 and he says, for which cause we faint not. But though, we, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction is but for a moment working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary or temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And he takes his thought on into the fifth chapter, the first verse. He said, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, ye shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, this flesh, this body, do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, not that we would be dead or outside of this, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now, he that hath wrought for us the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And then when you look at the other text in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, look at it a little bit closer with me in Hebrews 12, 12, wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. We know, and when you look at Hebrews chapter 12, we know that in the context of this, this is an encouragement to follow Jesus. 
Because in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the writer says, Wherefore, seeing that we're compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. He's telling us, lay aside, run, look unto. This is what we do. Let us lay aside. Let us run. Let us look unto. But let him be our motivation. Let him be the strength, the source of strength for our life. As we go on, he tells what God is doing, working on us to make us better. And bear with me, I want to read a few verses of Scripture. In verse 5, he said, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastising or chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? My brother Dwayne and myself are here today, and we can tell you that our father chastened us. Sometime he chastened us with a switch. It's too late to turn him in now. All of you that are all sensitive about stuff like this, it's too late to turn him in because we're, we're grown. We've, we're over it. But I remember when he had chased us with a switch. And I remember one time specifically that he got this switch, and I don't know why he did it, but he called it his king switch or something like that. And I remember him taking that switch, and he laid it on top of the refrigerator. Now, I don't know that he ever spanked me and Dwayne, but he sure had to spank the other ones. <laughs> and he laid this switch across the top of the refrigerator, and and, and we thought it was funny. It's kind of a green switch, so it had a little flexibility, had a little bark on it. And about every four inches, we snapped it. And next time Pop went and grabbed that switch, instead of being like this, it was beep. I don't know where that thought came from. It just popped up when I was reading this scripture here recently. But, but y'all know what it's like. How many of you have, have never been spanked as a child? So not a single hand went up. You know what I was going to say to, to that if you'd have raised your hand? If you'd have raised your hand that it, you'd never been spanked, I was going to say it shows. <laughs> so I'm glad you didn't raise your hand. So the, the teaching of this passage of Scripture, he's telling us that we are chastened, we are disciplined because of love. Verse, verse 8, he said, if you be without chastisement, whereof, of all, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. But verse 9, furthermore, we've had fathers like Pop after our flesh, which corrected us. We give them reverence, and shall not we much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their pleasure, because they didn't want us to embarrass them. But our heavenly Father for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. 
Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, Dwayne. There never was a time that you got spanked that you turned around and hugged your dad and said, oh, thank you for doing that. I needed it. No chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but it's grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So here's the summation of this in Hebrews chapter 12. He's our focus, he's our motivation, and he keeps us in line because he knows the potential that is in us. He knows what we can be. Every single one of you that are here today have a purpose of God for your life. And so the writer's saying, our responsibility is to keep our head in it. Our responsibility is to stay in the fight. Our responsibility is to realize that I have strength enough. And that's why he would go on to say in verse 12, wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which, without which no man can see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. So there's an Old Testament prophet. I'm going to start tying this together. There's an Old Testament prophet that kind of ties this thought together for us. The prophet Habakkuk. He's a prophet, but his prophecy is not a proclamation from the prophet himself to the nation of Israel. His prophecy is a dialogue between him and God. How many of you have ever had a conversation with God to the point where you just began to raise questions. Let's be honest with ourselves today. So here's Habakkuk having a dialogue between him and God. And Habakkuk raised questions, at least two questions, that have been asked throughout the ages. You see what's about to happen, Habakkuk, this is around 600 or so B.C., and this is right about the time that the Babylonians are going to come in and overtake uh, the people of God, carry them off captive. And what's going to happen is that God is going to use some bad people to correct his chosen people. And Habakkuk can't get his head wrapped around it. It's just like some of us in this room this morning can't get our head wrapped around the fact that, that some of the things that's happened in our life and is happening in our life is God's just working on us to make us more and more into what he wants us to be. In Habakkuk chapter, uh, or pardon me, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, let me read that scripture again to set this up, where the writer says, have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children? My son, despise thou not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you're rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Let me just tell you this, that that which doesn't reveal the God of glory has to be removed in order to see the glory of God. 
We want to see God move in our life. Come on, are y'all with me? We want to see God move in our life. We want to see the glory of God. As Moses said there as he went up Sinai in Exodus 33, God, show me your glory. But that which doesn't reveal the God of glory in our life has to be removed in order to see the glory of God. And today... Today, nations are given to greed, to power, to idolatry, to immorality, treating each other in an inhumane fashion. Today, I just had this happen just this past week. I had had my eyes opened. A simple little children's movie that's been around for years. It's a Disney movie. I never seen it in my life. Never never watched it, but I'd kind of been familiar with it. Never saw it until I was kind of glimpsing at it because of babysitting. And I I looked at this, and all of a sudden it dawned on me. This is not good. I turned it off. You know what it was doing? What's the name of that movie? I think it's The Frog and the Princess, or what? Princess and the Frog. And y'all might look at that and say, oh, man, that's just so awesome. That's just such a good movie. Well, the part I watched... I watched a little bit of it. It was funny. Fat alligator singing, singing blues, playing a trumpet. That's awesome. And then frogs and eating mosquitoes and all that. That's awesome. And then all of a sudden it goes into demonic things and voodoo and, and all of this stuff. And I'm sitting there looking at this. And the next thing that's coming over me, flooding over my mind, is this is doing nothing but normalizing a demonic activity. So I'm not up here to, I'm not pleased. That's not even in my notes. And so those of you that want my notes in Dropbox, you're not going to find this. And I'm not going to write it out so you can turn around and argue about it on Facebook. I'm not going to do that. But I was also watching something here recently that was, it's billed as a family show. And in this family show, it was normalizing activity that you and I actually preach against according to the word of God. So here we are today, if you're with me, I want, you to, I want you to get a hold of this. Here we are today where we talk about liberalism and all this junk that's pushed down our throats on the news. And meanwhile, while we're focused on that, the enemy's slipping some things into our home that we're not even aware of. So the message of today is God's not so interested in you coming in here and getting patted on the back and making sure you don't get your feelings hurt. We're fighting a battle for our home, for our family, for our very salvation. It's a battle. And the Lord didn't just bring you out so you would have a better life. Are y'all with me today? The Lord didn't just take you from that place that you used to be where you'd be so messed up on Saturday night you didn't know who you woke up next to on the next morning. I delight to see the the work of God in some of y'all's lives, but the Lord didn't bring you out of a meth house to let you die in the church house. The Lord didn't bring you off a bar stool to go to heaven off of a church chair or go to hell off a church chair. 
God brought you out not just so you could sit here on Sunday morning and, and look at what God's done for your life and the redemptive lift that has happened. You're so much better off than you were when you were blowing your money, smoking and drinking and doing drugs and all that mess. You're so much better than you were before you started paying your tithes. You're so much better off now than you've been in your life. But that's not what it's all about. You're here for the glory of God. You're here for God to be magnified in your life. And so because he loves us the way he does, he corrects us, he chastens us. And he does it because he knows it's not just so that we won't embarrass him. You got, you got spanked as a child because you were an embarrassment to your parents. Some of y'all did. My kids embarrass me, they still try to do that. And some of y'all got spanked for the wrong reasons. I got spanked for the wrong reasons sometime. Pop, I got spanked because I ran my mouth and it embarrassed you. I'm not bitter about it. I'll never forget it, but I'm not bitter about it. And the Lord doesn't chastise you because you embarrass him. Come on, are you with me? The Lord doesn't work to bring about correction in your life because you're bringing embarrassment to him. He's God. He doesn't suffer from embarrassment. But he sees what he's doing in your life is benefiting you. So you need to be like you were when your mom and your daddy got on to you and said, I'm doing this for your benefit. You need to realize that God is working for your good. And if he deals with you about something, quit arguing with him. And Habakkuk raises these questions. I'm going to have to tie this together. Habakkuk's raising these questions. Back at chapter, chapter one, I want y'all to notice this because some of us think, oh, I can't ask God questions. He might strike me dead. Uh, whoever told you that needs a spanking. <laughs> back at chapter one, verse one, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? and thou wilt not hear. He just jumped right in there. Lord, how long are you going to be ignoring me? How long shall I cry and you will not hear, even cry out unto thee of, of violence, and thou wilt not save? Why dost thou shew me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance for spoiling and violence are before me, and there, and there are that, pray, that raise up strife and contention Therefore the law is slacked and judgment doth never go forth for the wicked doth compass about the righteous wherefore wrong or therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. So he raises this question. Number one, if you keep in notes, that question is how long will you ignore me when I'm asking you why does this evil and injustice exist? It's a question all of us have had. And Habakkuk is raising that question and he's saying, God, how long are you going to ignore me when 
I'm bringing this up about why evil and injustice exist and God's response to him in verse 5 was definitely not tickling his ears. God said, Behold ye among the heathen in regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye shall not believe, though it be told you. God said, I'm going to do something extraordinary, but this is the extraordinary thing that I'm going to do. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. God's answer to Habakkuk was, I am sovereign, and here's what I'm going to do. I am going to raise up the Babylonians to bring about my will. And Habakkuk's next question took off from that one in verse 12 of Habakkuk 1. He said, Lord, art thou not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, mine holy one, we shall not die, O Lord. Thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. He's arguing with God, and he's saying, God, you're telling me that I'm one of yours, but you're raising up the Babylonians to correct us? Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil, verse 13, and cannot look on iniquity. Wherefore, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? And his second question was, Lord, why are you doing it this way? How can you give power to the wicked? You see, Habakkuk was appalled that God was using the Babylonians to bring about his plan. Brothers and sisters, we'd rather God use somebody we voted for. We, we would rather God use somebody that we listen to their podcast. We'd a whole lot rather God use somebody that we are in favor of that think like we think. I'm just telling y'all the honest to goodness truth and y'all can vote me out in 10 years. But I ain't going nowhere till then. Because we've got it so in our mind that it's got to be a certain way. And we, are y'all with me? Because I'm telling you something from the Lord. Sometimes we can't understand why it's happening the way it's happening. Because God, I can't see you doing something that way. But Isaiah reminds us that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He's as far separated from us as the heaven is from the earth. And Habakkuk was appalled. Literally appalled because God's about to use the Babylonians to bring about his plan. And he's saying, you're using them for judgment? You're going to bring about correction from these evil people? These people of iniquity? When God, you can't even look on evil, but yet you're using them to do this? I think the reason some of you are so quiet because this is hitting home. It hit home with me. It hits home with me. I mean, I vote a certain way. And I, honest to goodness, I can't stand the thought of God using certain people to bring about his plan. 
I honestly can't. And you and I struggle with these things, and that's why God put this on my heart today. Because we're thinking things the way that, we're, we're, we're looking at things the way that, that, that we've got our perception and what our understanding is. And so Habakkuk's raised these questions. And then he said in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1, I'll stand up on my watch, I'm going to set myself up on the tower, and I will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Habakkuk threw it out there. He raised these questions, and he said, I'm going to hang in here, and I'm just going to wait for God, and I'm going to see, and I'm going to think about what I'm going to say to him. And in verse 2, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth. It's one of the very few times that the prophet's been told to write it down. And he was was told to write the vision and make it plain that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. And verse, verse four, look closely. Behold, His soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. You see, evil seemed to have the upper upper hand, and it seems even today to have the upper hand. And our prayer is, God, I want your will. Y'all with me? Where's Courtney? God, I want your will. I want your will. I just don't want it brought about like this. God, I want your will. I just don't want it brought about like this. I want your will in my life, but I don't want to be embarrassed. I want your will in my life, but I, in the process, I want you to make sure you make me look good. I want your will in my life. But God, I don't want wrong circumstances. I don't want bad things. I don't want this, I don't want that. And a lot of times when we get angry and discouraged, it's unnecessary because in the bigger picture of things, the word of God is working. And Paul brings it to our attention in Romans 8, 28 when he says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We've got to remember that he is in complete control of it all. God says, be patient. The vision will come. Wait for it. God told Habakkuk that the proud person relies on self. The proud person relies on power. The proud person relies on position. But the righteous person lives by their faith. The righteous person lives because of their faith and trust in God. In Romans chapter 1, Paul would quote this very same thing when he's writing to the church there, and he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first, 
and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul later in Galatians chapter 3 verse 11, he says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And again, it's quoted in Hebrews chapter 10. Cast not away therefore your confidence which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise for yet a little while. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Pause for a moment. Turn around and tell that person beside you he is coming. And then he says, now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Some of us may actually live without seeing. We may live through the difficulty without actually seeing the outcome. But we've got to trust that God is directing all things according to his purpose. And Habakkuk concluded his remarks in Habakkuk chapter 3. Come on back up, praise team. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 1. This prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of his hand and there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence and burning coals went forth at his feet. Note that verse for a moment. Pestilence, that's a sickness, that's a disease. Burning coals can even refer to fever. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and lo, drove asunder the nations and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow, his ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. These things that happened. Let me just pause there for a moment by referencing verse 5 again. Before him went the pestilence. According to biblical terminology, what we've experienced in, or what we're experiencing right now, COVID-19 is a pestilence. And these things that went before him, they indicate judgment for the ungodly, but they also indicate discipline and chastisement for those that are the people of God. He brings judgment on the ungodly. He brings discipline to the godly, and he chastises those he loves. We've been talking about that. I believe that if we're here today and haven't reconnected to God in a greater way, we actually need to be concerned. Because if what's been happening in these events, and I'm not talking prophecy this morning, I'm talking about where we live, these events that we've witnessed, and as we've over the past few weeks looked at these things and how they connect to the Word of God in prophecy, 
if you and I have not reached this point yet of having a made up mind and having made a determination that I've lived this way long enough and I've proudfully walked the way that I have long enough, I need to humble myself under the mighty hand of God. It's now. And Habakkuk came to that point. He makes a declaration in verse 13. He comes to this place that he was overcome with a sense of awe of God. And in the same note, as he's overcome with a sense of awe of God, he's overcome with a sense of his own weakness. And he said, Lord, you went forth for the salvation of thy people, even for salvation with thine anointed. Thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering a foundation unto the meek, Selah. Thou didst strike through with his staves and the head of his villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was as to devour the poor secretly. Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses, through the heap of great waters. And when I heard, my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. He's declaring the power of God, and seeing God's power should not just bring a wow, but it should also bring a woe is me. The Spirit of God does not move to impress us. God's power is not evident in our life to wow us because God isn't insecure. He doesn't need affirmation. He doesn't need us to go, wow. He needs us to go, whoa. Isaiah did, in the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried to another, and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He said, I was wowed by God, but I was woed by me. And then flew one of the seraphims took a live coal in his hand which he had taken from off the tongs of the altar and he laid it upon my mouth and he said this has touched your lips your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged and I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us then said I here am I send me God's got us to a place God's got us to a place where we've realized our vulnerability, our own weakness. But God's also got us to a place where we've seen and we've known His presence, His power, His greatness. But you know what this is doing? It's bringing us to a place 
of taking that next step. Isaiah's was, here am I, send me. Habakkuk's was, stand with me if you would. Habakkuk's was, verse 17, this declaration that was greater and deeper and stronger than anything he had said up to that point. When Habakkuk made this statement, he said, although the fig tree shall not blossom and neither shall fruit be in the vines and the labor of the olive shall, fl- shall fail and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Everything that was economically uh, what he depended on in his life, he said, if it's all gone, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. What's the point, Brother David? The point is getting us to the place of realizing that we're going to faint in the day of adversity because we have small strength. But... Habakkuk 3.19, the Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. Isaiah said, here am I, send me after he was touched with coals from off the altar. And Habakkuk, after he had raised the questions, Felt like God was ignoring him. Felt like God's ways wasn't the right way. He raised the questions, but then those questions led to a declaration that I will rejoice in the Lord. And this is the reason I will rejoice because the Lord God is my strength. That's what you need today. Would you just praise him for a moment right now? The Lord God is my strength. You may be stubborn headed, but stubbornness always runs into something that is more stubborn. You may be self-sufficient, but self-sufficiency always runs to a place where it doesn't work. You may have enough money stockpiled to pay all of our retirements, but economies can crash. And Isaiah said, I saw the Lord and I had to say, whoa. And after he touched me, I had to say, I'll go. And Habakkuk said, I heard from the Lord. And I made a declaration that if everything is gone from my life that I've been depending on, I will still rejoice. And the reason I will rejoice is because the Lord God is my strength. And that's strength enough. That's strength enough. Man, I feel something moving in this place right now. Because some of you, bow your head so you won't think I'm staring at you. Because some of you, some of you had pride and you've been humbled and it hurts. 
And some of you depended on certain things and those things have been pulled out from under you. And it hurts. And some of you have had things that's happened in your life that's embarrassed you. And you're still smarting from it. It still bothers you. It still hurts. But I come to bring your word today and that simple message. The psalmist sums it up pretty well. He says, God, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh, my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. God is my portion forever. Brothers and sisters, this is the time, the time to admit to yourself and admit before God that I've not gotten to the point I need to be through my own efforts. And God's got me here this morning and I'm gonna yield myself to Him and I'm going to rely on His strength. Hallelujah. Reach over and put your hand on the back of that person beside you and pray for them because we're about to come to the altar. In the name of Jesus, God, I thank you for your spirit that is continuing to work and your word that continues to enlighten. I thank you today, Lord, for the work that you've done in our lives. But God, I know that you've given me this simple word to bring to your people this morning because there's some in this place that need to submit themselves to the strength that is outside of themselves and to trust in you with all their heart to quit leaning to their own understanding. I pray, God, that you'd help us in the name of Jesus. Sing softly. The Word of God says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Why don't you just walk to this front right now? We're going to sing this together. But why don't you come saying, Lord, I need you today. I need your strength. I need what you have. I need to trust in you, and I haven't been doing that. Come on. There's room. Let's walk up here. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.